Hi, my name is Lynn McTaggart. Welcome to my podcast, Living the New Science. In these podcasts, I'm covering some extraordinary discoveries by frontier scientists and other new thought leaders, and why this changes everything we think about how our world works and also how we should live our lives. Today, I'm going to share with you an amazing conversation I've had with Dr. Bruce Lipton. Dr. Lipton, you may know, is an internationally recognized leader in bridging science and spirit. He's a stem cell biologist, a best-selling author of books like The Biology of Belief and The Honeymoon Effect, and he's also recipient of the 2009 Goy Peace Award. And of course, he's also a dear friend of mine. And in this conversation, we took a deep dive into some of the reasons why we face crises on so many fronts, plus a few ideas about what to do about it. So listen in. If you don't know who he is, and everybody knows who he is, Dr. Bruce Lipton, who is my dear, dear friend, is also an internationally recognized uh, seer of the bridge between science and spirituality. He is the author of uh, numerous internationally best-selling books. I mean, The Biology of Belief absolutely knocked it out of the park and changed biology. And also The Honeymoon Effect. He is an expert on revisiting Darwin. Um, uh, somebody who, like me, wants to talk about why we're in the mess we're in and what to do about it. So welcome, Bruce, in conversation with Lynn McTaggart. I'm Lynn McTaggart. And if you don't know who I am, I'm the author of many books, seven books, and four of them on science and spirituality, the field, the intention experiment, the bond, and my latest, the power of eight. So Bruce, it's yeah. nice to be here with you. And thank you. Thank you for uh, just filling the void while we got onto Facebook. So look. You have really looked into this and, you know, you have taught immunology for years, um, as well as really changing the face of biology. So we're in a mess right now. Um, <laughs> please tell everybody why this was a bit inevitable. Well, what's really interesting is the fact that um, the world that we're living in is changing so rapidly. And sometimes you don't see it when you're in the middle of it. And I'll say, well, what's the big change? And the big change is this, science has recognized, not this year, science has recognized nearly 20 years ago and started to tell us that human behavior is undermining the web of life. I go, so what does that mean? I say, well, the web of life is where all the organisms are connected with each other. And we are in that web of life. We're not above the web of life. We are in the web of life. And I say, why is it relevant? Well, if the web of life crashes, so does human civilization. And this is a fact now that we're in what is called the sixth mass extinction of life. And that, well, first thing that says there's five previous mass extinctions of life. And I go, yes, five times in the history of the evolution of this planet, life was thriving and some cataclysmic event wiped out up to 90% of life each time. And so I said, well, the last one was 66 million years ago when a big comet hit near uh, the Yucatan Peninsula in Mexico area. And I go, so what was relevant? Well, that comet was so big when it hit the earth, it just upended the web of life. 
And remember, at this time, 66 million years ago, there were dinosaurs and lush tropical forests. Even now we're finding Antarctica was uh, experiencing a lush tropical forest. Uh, and then this comet hits and, and all the dinosaurs disappear. 75% of life disappeared, and that's called the mass extinction. So I say, why is it relevant? I say, we are in a mass extinction. Now, some of us are old enough to remember 1970. Okay, I'm one of them. Okay. And I say, why is it relevant? Because the World Wildlife Foundation took a survey. How many animals are here on planet Earth? Well, they just recently redid the survey. Ready? Two thirds of the entire animal population have disappeared in the last 50 years. We're down to one third of the animals that used to be on this planet. And it all comes back to, to human civilization undermining the web of life, you know, taking all the resources out, throwing all the pollution back in. Uh, it's even estimated now that there will be no fish in the ocean 2048. 2048 is not that far ahead. Uh, it's almost like science fiction, planet Earth, where you're going to have to show your kids in 2048. Here's what a fish used to look like, because there won't be any. We've overfished. We've polluted the ocean destroyed the breeding grounds. And so this is a downhill thing that's going on and science has been charting it all along. And the relevance is this, we are in mass extinction. We are the cause of a mass extinction. We will be the victims of a mass extinction, but there's a choice and the choice is what? Change the way we are living on this planet. Start to learn to live in harmony with yourself. That's a big one because uh, we'll talk about that possibly, but uh, most people do not love themselves. And I go, yeah, about 80 to 90% of people that have come into uh, workshops I've been in with belief change and, and we check a belief of, I love myself. 80 to 90% of every audience will not test positive for I love myself. I go, if you don't love yourself, you'll never find love on this planet. Because anybody who says they love you, you would say, oh, well, obviously you have uh, no you know, character control here because I can see I'm not lovable. So uh, you must be wrong. <laughs> and then we push them away. And then we're very rightfully saying, see, I'm not lovable. There's nobody here. <laughs> we push them away. So we need Absolutely. to change. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. That's so interesting. And, you know, what you were talking about in terms of a sixth um, stage of extinction or the sixth age of extinction is interesting because um, I was looking the other day at our mutual friend, Dr. Don Beck's spiral dynamics. Yes, And it's such an interesting system if you don't know about it because out, everybody out there doesn't know about it. It is a fascinating system of spiraling human organization and behavior. And it starts and it, it, it spirals from egoistic, individualistic thinking to more complex community and communal thinking. But it, it's a kind of spiral of complexity of human organization. And according to Beck, we're right where we're ending that cycle of, I think he calls it orange, which is we chase success, it's highly individualistic, it's highly competitive, it's all of those things. And that's the part that is really so, so destructive. As Bruce says, I mean, and I also consider not only 
the spiral of human organization, but the misconceptions of science. Now, Bruce and I are both tying in, you know, we're both really, you know, he's a biologist and I am a, I am a, an, a scientific author. And both of us have concluded, I, I think I can say, that uh, some of the titans of science have created a scientific story that is bringing us to the brink of extinction. Because we first had all of the ideas of Newton that things were separate, very well behaved, but separate little objects in time and space. And then we had the thinking of Charles Darwin, which was so influenced by thoughts about population explosion of the time, that he was convinced that life proceeds through struggle because there just ain't enough to go around. And it is that mindset that I think is, is primarily responsible. Those two ideas primarily responsible for the mindsets that are enabling us or causing us to destroy ourselves. And also the cause of so much that is falling down now. You know, when we look at, um, we look at all of the things that are going on, our climate change uh, crisis, that has to do with greed and profit above everything else. Um, when we look at our situation uh, with the response to COVID, that is also primarily tied with greed, greed and corruption. And so we've got to a level of greed and corruption where we are eating our own children. And Beck says the next place is, Don Beck says the next spiral is much more communal thinking. And I'm very interested in this. And I, I want us, Bruce, also to try to give people some hope here because you know everything we talk about, everything we read about in our newspapers, all of this stuff about COVID, climate change, you know, government failing us, everything is negative, horrible information. So I want us to also give people an idea of a way through. So well, what are your thoughts about it? I know you've got lots of thoughts about Darwin. Lots of thoughts. <laughs> uh, yeah, I give an analogy here because it's so critical of what's going on at this very moment, and that is this. A caterpillar is one of the most voracious of organisms. You put a caterpillar on a plant, it'll eat up all the leaves off of that plant. And I go, so what happens? I say, well, no, the leaves are off. There is no, there's no more food. And then I say, what happens? I say, well, the caterpillar goes into a cocoon. And then I said, well, what's happening here? I said, well, it's transforming into a, a butterfly. Interesting, caterpillar is the most voracious of organisms. The butterfly, the lightest touch of organisms. And I go, so there was a metamorphosis. And I go, well, look at it this way. A caterpillar like a human is made out of <laughs> millions of, we're made out of trillions of cells. And maybe the caterpillar's got billions of cells. Cells are like miniature people. Very important point, people don't understand this, is that any characteristic we have as a human comes from cells. We are a community of cells. People look in the mirror, see themselves as a single entity. I go, no, no, you are a community of upwards of 50 trillion cells. And I go, why is it relevant? Because we always talk about ourselves. I say, no, we are a community and that the cells are like individual living sentient beings. I 
used to clone human cells, take them out of the human body, put them in a culture dish. As long as I provided the environment for them, they grew, they were happy, they lived and everything was no problem. So what, what was the relevance about this is, well, our consciousness is like a government. It's, it's referring information. I say, there's a new science. It's called epigenetics. I go, why is this relevant? Because this undermines the Darwinian theory. It undermines the Newtonian theory. And it starts to really emphasize the nature of quantum physics. And, uh, and people don't understand quantum physics. They call it the weird science. And I went to school and we had a choice of taking classical physics or, or quantum physics. No, none of my friends ever went to quantum physics. Man, I was like crazy. Uh, do, the, do the Newtonian story. And that's what we did. But quantum physics is, by you know important point, the most valid science on this planet. I go, what do you mean the most valid? I go, the theoretical ideas of quantum physics first placed in 1927 have almost all of them turned out to be absolutely valid insights to the nature of our world, which is what? Everything is energy, which is right away, that's a weird thing. And that's why quantum physics gets lost. People, what do you mean it's weird? You know, there's matter. And I go, no, that's an illusion. Uh, and, and I say, well, this is very difficult for us to comprehend when we grew up in a material world. It's easy to see something oh, made out of matter and that invisible stuff is energy. I say, no, everything is energy. And if we had a lot of time, Lynn, I'd give my whole course on this. But right now, basically, we have to understand a simple fact that energy, it, there are no borders to energy. Like if raindrops are falling on a pond and all those ripples, which are energy, you start to recognize they're all interconnected. There's no separation. Uh, and, and so all of us as individual energies are connected to everything else is all energy. And we have to recognize there's a unity in the universe. Everything is interconnected. And that means we are not outside of this and we are all participants in what's going on. So what's going on? Backstep now. I say this, we're facing extinction. I say, well, we're not living in harmony with nature. And I go, well, what do you mean? I go, we made a big mistake. <laughs> nature is a garden. I go, yeah, so what? And I go, a garden is not a battleground. <laughs> a garden is the height of cooperation. And I say, look what we've done. We've been so greedy trying to take stuff and everybody wants to get a piece of the action and take some of this stuff. And I go, this is a Darwinian view that says life is a struggle for survival. That's what the Darwinian theory says. And in that struggle, it says your chances of survival are based on you being competitive and winning in the game of struggle. When I say the planet doesn't exist in struggle, it's in harmony. We're the ones that are not in harmony. And nature is now showing us human beings, if you do not learn to live in harmony, you don't have to be in this garden anymore. And in fact, it's interesting when humans are excluded from some areas like Chernobyl after the reactor and everybody, oh, there's a radioactive zone. No humans can come in here and all that. Guess what? Today, without any humans there, Chernobyl has returned back to nature. There are trees and there's a forest and what was a city? Trees are growing out of the buildings. But guess what? It also has the highest wildlife population of any place in the former Soviet Union. I go, it, it replenished the garden. Why? Because we're not there. That's what the whole point was. <laughs> and so there's a message coming here. We're facing this extinction. The garden is falling apart. 
It's based on human behavior. Nature is giving us an opportunity. And I say, so let's go back to the story of the caterpillar for a second. I go, yeah, the voracious caterpillar. Well, that's like the voracious human civilization. We're eating up the planet. I say, then what? Well, when we push it to the end, then what happens is the caterpillar gets in a cocoon. I go, so what then? I said, well, you know those billions of cells of sentient beings? Well, when they were eating and living like a, the caterpillar, they were all working. Digestive system was working, muscle cells were working, the whole darn thing was a population and explosion, everybody was working. But when the food ran out, there was no more work. And the work started, the, the, the community started to fall apart. I said, but they did this inside a cocoon. I go, so why is this relevant? Because all those cells from the caterpillar start breaking down because the caterpillar has ended. But now I have a soup of cells and I say, what? There's what are called imaginal cells. Uh, I like it because it sounds like imagination, but it's from imago, which is the name of a small insect growing. And I say, what is imaginal cells? I say, they have a vision of a future, a new organization for all the cells that say, get out of the caterpillar structure and we're building a new civilization called, in this case, the butterfly. And I say, so why? I say, if I put you in the middle of that cocoon, right in the middle of it, I'd say, you'd look around and say like, oh my God, it's the same thing happening on this planet. Everything seems to be falling apart. And I go, it is falling apart because it's no longer usable in this world. I say, then what? But simultaneously, something new is being built. And we're going in this other direction. I say, so why is it relevant? I say, at this moment in civilization, we have a choice. Hold on to the one that's dead and dying and say, please come back, make us great again. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, the idea about that is you can hold on to the dying one. It would be very silly. We start to understand there's a new one being built over here. Buckminster Fuller said, don't change the old one. Step out of the old system, build a new system, and all the others will come. Well. Here's my dear friend, Lynn, imaginal cell, helping us do what? A better plan, a better future, get, let go of this. And if you hold on to the one that's falling down, I can tell you right now, you're going to get sick and you're going to get very sick. And I say, why? Because harmony is health. Disharmony is disease, whether it's in an individual, whether it's in a cell, whether it's in a civilization. And I say, why? We're in disharmony. But that's not the focus point. The focus point is it's in disharmony because it's challenging our survival. So it's falling apart. But now is the opportunity to do what? Get out of that system. Don't fight it. You'll just lose all your energy. Fighting is bigger than we are. Come over here and build this new one. And that's why I'm so honored, you know, to be in a community of people like with my dear friend Lynn or my brother Greg Braden, uh, people that I that are helping us move out of this destructive version and building this other one. But you have to do it with your eyes open. And the problem is it's been closed. And Lynn could tell us because she's been looking at where they closed her eyes and what's behind those closed eyes. So, uh, Lynn, uh, this is this is your strong point of, hey. What's going on when our eyes are closed? Well, and that is, thank you, Bruce. And thank you for all of that. And I hope everybody's really taking in this whole idea of imaginal cells and creating a new structure because what people feel is mainly powerless. They feel powerless because this old structure is so oppressive and because it's not working. And they see all of that and they read about it and they feel there's nothing they can do. But... We have to understand two really important points. One is 
we weren't living according to our true nature. You know, when I researched the bond and when I work with my power of eight groups and in my master classes, I see number one, we all have extraordinary human capacity that has been untapped, that has been denied by authority figures. You know, we know it when we're children. We know that we have uh, the ability to pick up information beyond our senses. We have the ability to use intention to modify or even create our reality. We have all of these extraordinary powers, but they've been denied to us. And so we end up, and they certainly are denied, not only by authority figures like our parents, but also by mainstream science. So we come to believe it and we feel we do not have any power. But as Bruce says, everything is mental, everything is energy. And our thoughts are one other energy system that enormous numbers, a, a huge body of evidence have demonstrated. Thoughts are things that affect other things, that we can affect things in our world, everything from single-celled organisms to you know, full-fledged human beings and beyond. And of course, that's a lot of my work. But the other thing we have to keep in mind so we have power, we don't express, we don't acknowledge, but we also have a need to be part of a community. This whole idea of survival of the fittest was completely misguided because every when you start studying things about human behavior, there is an enormous body of evidence de demonstrating we need to belong. We need to belong and it's probably, we need to belong more than we need to eat. We need to be part of something bigger. And when we're not, we're more likely to get ill. And the same happens with our need to agree. I mean, there have been studies, notably by a guy called William Condon, who studied people for decades. And he found that even when they first start talking, they go into total synchrony. We start imitating each other. Our brains start operating the same. We were programmed, hard, hardwired to connect. And I certainly see that in my master classes all the time. I see people within something like 16 seconds, their consciousness their, and their brains become entrained. They start operating like one great big hypermind. So we're made to do that. We were made to agree with each other, to mimic each other. That's what mirror neurons are all about. When you see if Bruce is saying something or having an emotion or doing an action, the very same neurons in me fire that as if I were doing the action, I were having that emotion. So we have that, but we also have a need to give. Altruism is probably the, uh, I mean, it is probably the best bulletproof vest you have. People who do things for other people, no matter how small, live longer, healthier, happier lives. And finally, we need, for recipro we need reciprocation. We need to take turns. That also is hardwired in us. We see it in many, many studies. So you add this all up and you come up with a completely different type of human and type of human organization that we can start looking to again, 
because our ancestors knew this. They knew about magic. Those earlier civilizations, they tapped into our human abilities. Um, and we now have the opportunity to make it better, to do it better. So Bruce, what do you think are some of those things? I mean, you certainly looked at some of the ways that you can live in a better way with the biology of belief, with the honeymoon effect. What do you think? Well, I think the most important thing is this, that we talked about the fact that we start to coordinate our lives with what is surrounding us. And I wanna go back to a more primitive uh, uh, in our civilization's point of view uh, insight that was offered by the Jesuits 400 years ago. The Jesuits said, give me a child until it is seven and I will show you the man. Well, that sounds like, you know, what, what, what the heck does all that mean? And I tell you, it's absolute true science. And I go, what does that mean? I go, our lives, uh, uh, our brain is like a computer. It is a computer, it's a supercomputer. I go, so what? And I say, well, like a computer, it has the same functions as a computer. And I say, so what does that mean? I said, well, in the old days, you'd buy a computer, you bring it home, you push start and the screen boots up and it's ready to go. And I said, well, do something. Write an essay, make a drawing, spreadsheet. You say, I can't do it. And I say, why not? You got a brand new computer. I say, not until I put the programs in can I use the computer. And this holds true for humans that the screen in our brain boots up in the last trimester of pregnancy, but we cannot use the brain until programs are put in. And then I go, so where do the programs come from? And the answer is this, for the first seven, actually the last trimester of pregnancy and the first through the first seven years of life, our brain is not predominantly in a conscious state. It's a little lower vibration called theta, which is um, imagination, that's why children under seven can mix the real world and the imaginary world. Uh, uh, you know, they pour nothing into the teacup, drink the nothing and exclaim that was the best tea they ever had. That, that's an example of theta imagination. And I go, so what else is? And I said, this is the point. Theta is hypnosis. If I want to hypnotize you, I have to drop your vibrational waves down low, get you into theta and whatever I put in your ears now or in your eyes or inputs, is not going into the conscious brain, it's going into the subconscious mind. That's where the programs are. So I go, so why? I said, well, we become programmed in the first seven years by what? Whatever people teach us. <laughs> uh, and this is what the Jesuits were saying, give me the kid for seven years, that's when I teach them, and they will become that the rest of their lives, and now we know why. And the answer is this, 95% of your life is not coming from the conscious creative mind, which is behind your forehead right here, prefrontal cortex. 95% of your life is a direct play out of the programs you downloaded in the first seven years. And you go, why? My conscious mind is a creative one and has the imagination of that beautiful world that we wanna live in and, and the way I would love to live and what I want. I go, that's conscious mind. But here comes the glitch. And I say, what is it? When the conscious mind is thinking, it's not looking out at the world. When the conscious mind is thinking, it's looking inside the head. Why? That's where thoughts are. And so I say, why is it relevant? I say, science has recognized that we are thinking 95% of the day. I go, so what? I go, well, what that means is this. Your conscious mind's not running your life. The wishes and desires conscious mind, only running your life 5% of the day. I say 95% is direct reading out of the program. I go, why is it relevant? Uh, and this is most critical. 
is when we are playing the program, first question is this, why are we playing the program? Why aren't we using our creative wishes and desires? I go, because we are thinking. I say, then I'm not looking out. My conscious mind's not looking out, is it? I say, no, it's looking in. I say, then, but what about the behavior that I'm playing, my program? Will I see it? I go, no. And this is the crux of the problem on this planet. Because we go forward thinking I'm creating the life that's going on that I want. It's not happening. And therefore, I blame the outside. I'm a victim of this. I'm a victim of that. And I go, 95% of the day, you are playing programs that are sabotaging you. You are creating your life, but invisibly. And I'll give a story, same one, 30. I mean, Lynn must have heard this 100 stories now. I'll tell you the same story. You have a friend. You know your friend's behavior very well. And you happen to know your friend's parent, okay? And one day, you see your friend has the same behavior as their parent. So you really want to offer this, you, you know, you got to just say, you go, hey, Bill, you're just like your dad. Back away from Bill, because I can tell you what Bill's going to say. I already know what Bill's going to say. Bill's going to say, how can you compare me to my dad? I'm nothing like my dad. And, I, and it's funny, because when I say that in the audience and everybody starts to laugh because they have that experience, I said, most profound story in the world at this moment. Everyone else can see that Bill behaves like his dad. Who can't see it? Bill. Why can't he see it? Well, why is he playing his dad's program? He's not paying attention. So whatever is coming out and he's playing his dad's program, which he downloaded in the first seven years, Bill's the only one that doesn't see it. And now comes the, ready for this part, we are all Bill. <laughs> every one of us every day are playing 95% of our programs without us paying attention because we're thinking. And if these programs don't support us, and most of those childhood programs in the first seven years, of a majority of them are disempowering, self-sabotaging, limiting beliefs that we acquire as a program. And then 95% of our life, we play those programs. I say, why is it relevant? Big Big phrase here before I turn it back to my partner, Lynn. Big phrase, you ready? The function of the mind is to create coherence between your beliefs and your reality. If you have a belief <laughs> that, uh, that you're not worthy, then what do you think the function of the mind is going to do? The function of the mind is now to demonstrate that belief to be true. Unconsciously, 95% of the day, you will sabotage yourself. And at the end of the day, you go, wow, I didn't get it. I wasn't worthy. I didn't get it. I go, you did this. Conscious uh, ideas of controlling life are in biology is epigenetics. That's, that's where consciousness really influences your genetics, okay? But consciousness controlling your life is the fundamental principle of quantum physics. That is principle number one. Consciousness is creating our life experiences. Now, we don't want to own some of the experiences that we've had, because you go back when I used to tell people like, oh, you're, you're in charge and you're creating this life. And a lot of people go, no, I wouldn't have created my cancer. I wouldn't have created this problem with my partner. I wouldn't do that because you don't want to own it. But then the fact was this, you didn't even know you were doing it. And the idea about that is we have to wake up to the fact that we have been programmed and most of our life is a program. That's where the Jesuits came up. Seven years of programming. Then they said, but 95% of your life is that program. And I go, why is it relevant? We have to get out of the program. The programs are limitation. 
And the reality is if we buy the limitation, we become the limiting element in our world. Does thinking and positive thinking make a difference? I go, hey, so 100 years nearly, placebo effect is one of the most profound insights that positive thinking controls your life. I say, why? Well, this pill is going to heal me of my chronic illness and I have nothing else but this pill. I love it because this pill is purple. I remember that ad said, that purple pill, that means oh, it's better, it's purple. Oh, the purple pill. And I take the purple pill, I get better, but the purple pill is a sugar pill. So what the heck healed me? And the answer was obviously not the pill, the belief in the pill. And we talk about that placebo effect. That's positive belief. Yeah, it really works when it's working. And I give reasons why later, but placebo is positive thinking. And I said, what about negative thinking? I go, we never talk about that. And I go, well, we should, you know why? Negative thinking is equally powerful in controlling your life as positive thinking is, but negative thinking takes us away from life. Positive thinking takes us to life. And our programs, as uh, uh, um, Lynn and I have mentioned, the programs we get are not very positive about who we are. And I say, if you, uh, okay, a last story and I got turned over to my dear friend, okay? In India, elephants are used for, for a lot of work, you know, pulling big loads of trees and things and doing all that. And I say, an elephant is like this 12 foot tall monster. I said, if that's your elephant, how do you say, okay, elephant, stay? <laughs> like <laughs> elephant, 12 foot monster doesn't want to say, eh, sure as heck is not going to stay. And I go, so how do you train it? And this is critical. For the first few months of its life, the elephant has a rope tied around its leg, tied to a stake. I go, so what is that? I say, because all day, every day, few months of life, that baby elephant, it's a baby elephant, tries to get away, yanks on the rope, pulls on the rope, lays on its back, kicks, does every damn thing in the world to get away from the rope. And guess what? At the end of the day, it's like, nope, can't get away from this rope. And I go, so what? And I say, now the elephant's not that little small baby elephant. Now it's 12 foot monster. I said, well, how, how do you stop it? You tie it to your house or something? I go to pull your house down. Here's the joke. They put a rope around the leg of the elephant and don't even attach it to anything. Just put the rope on. I say, why? The program that elephant learned was when the rope was on the leg, it cannot move. I say, you don't even have to tie the rope to anything. Just put the rope on the leg. The memory of the program kicks in and the elephant says, oh, rope on leg. I can't move. I'm 12 feet tall. I can't move. It's sit there like a baby. And now I say, why is it relevant? Because all of us have had ropes tied around our leg, just like that baby elephant. We all have programs of disempowerment. Who do you think you are? Oh, you're not that smart. No, you don't deserve stuff. And I go, those are programs that by definition disempower us because if that's your program, I do not deserve. What's the function of the mind? Take the program, make it real. So if I got a program as a kid, I do not deserve 95% of the day when my subconscious is running the show, what is it gonna do? It's going to create behavior that at the end of the day says, no, you don't deserve. Why? The program ran you. And this is the wake up time because the programs we have are causing the extinction. And this is why I love uh, working with, with wonderful imaginal cells like Lynn, because like, well, Lynn is trying to say, wait, you know, that program you got might not be right. <laughs> I'm going, exactly. And it's a wake up call. 
and, and Lynn has so much uh, uh, research and references to emphasize all this. So we're both saying the same thing. So I'm gonna let Lynn say it because she'll probably say it better than I did. So go my dear friend. <laughs> never, never Bruce, never. But look, what I certainly have found that. And in my courses, in the work I do with intention, what we have found is something really extraordinary. And I've also worked with my husband, Brian Hubbard, who has written a book called The Untrue Story of You, and he has created a timeline program. Now, Brian had an abusive childhood, not, not physical abuse, but mental cruelty. And he developed a system that helped him undo that terrible program. And one of the things that he teaches that is so good is that time is energy. And, and this energy that you talk about, this program, it is literally energy in our body that does create these patterns. Now, here's the interesting thing about it. The things that I've been working on and I work on with my master class and my, my power of eight groups, the brain doesn't, there is no place in the brain where time exists. And our brain doesn't recognize the difference between past and future. Isn't that amazing? And finally, in quantum physics, it's been demonstrated with tons of studies. No quantum physicist believes in time. So time doesn't exist. It's one great big smeared out now. And many, many studies have shown that we affect things backward and forward in time. So what I've been doing with my groups is undoing those programs by essentially working with intention backward and forward in time. We don't change what happened, but we change your perception of it. Use your intention to reprogram your understanding of that, your power, give you back your power. And that is a huge part of it. I mean, when Brian and I work together and we, you know, we do retreats like this. And by the way, we're doing a retreat over New Year's in Costa Rica. And if you're interested, just check out the chat or the, um, the chat on Facebook or on this just to find out. I think we have four rooms left. But we actually work with people to undo those programs because they are about time being locked in your body. They are about the past driving you. And as Bruce says, there's an even bigger driver going on now, which is this big scientific story telling us who we are, which is a false story. It's a bad story and it's causing our destruction, but we can change that. And this is another thing I want to talk about is this whole idea of small groups. You know, people say, how am I going to fight against the government or the UN or, you know, China or Europe or any of that? How can, what can little I do to change this mass destruction? Well, as Margaret Mead always said, um, a small group is essentially all powerful. Um, paraphrasing what she did, said, because it's only, change has only ever been created by small groups. And there are so many demonstrations of this in, in history, from Gandhi 
you know, who just sat down in the middle of the road and ended British occupation of India. You know, he just said, no, no, not going to do that. And got his followers to do the same. No violence, no nothing. And they changed things. So what I bring people to is the idea of re-understanding, you know, revisiting and improving on that early spiral dynamics of small community and bringing us back into community because here's the thing I find with power big groups. We've done studies of these. We've done studies, brainwave studies of small group intention. Um, I, I did a big neuroscience study with Life University, largest chiropractic university in the world. And we discovered that when people go into small groups and do intention, everybody, the senders, things happen to their brain. They, all of that cognitive frontal lobe stuff, that starts diminishing. And, and so does the parts of the brain, the parietal lobes that help us navigate through space, make us feel separate. They start diminishing too. And what this is, is it ends up being brainwave signatures that are almost identical to those of Sufi masters during chanting and Buddhist monks during ecstatic prayer, almost identical to University of Pennsylvania studies of those. And so what we have here are people in a state of ecstatic oneness. They recreate or they experience, let's put it that way, they experience their real sense of connection. The connection, that invisible connection Bruce talked about that is always there, that is never experienced anymore because we've been so programmed with this idea of separate and competitive, that suddenly people are connected and they suddenly get to see the power of connection. You know, we have an extraordinary number of miracles, which have for many years freaked me out because miracles. I mean, we just had a woman who had retinal detachment and her doctor said she was going blind. Her power of eight group doesn't intention for her. She's back to 2020 vision. vision. But we have we had two people come out of their wheelchairs. We have untold number of, of those kinds of amazing things and amazing events where people have healed estranged relationships or found relationships. We had joy. They did an intention for her to open up her heart. She hadn't had a relationship for years. And the next week she gets a call from a boyfriend from 35 years ago, out of the blue, calls her, they start connecting. He's moved to Australia to be with her and boom, there it is. It's a kind of magic that happens, but it's the magic we have within ourselves. And one final thing, Bruce, when you talked about you know, placebo effects, there are so many studies demonstrating that thoughts and words are about the only medicine. They are the most powerful medicine because they activate everything in the body to make change. And I, I believe connection, community is a total game changer because think of it, if it can do that with the body and Bruce knows of countless studies where people have been given a placebo. And if the doctor says, this is gonna heal you, it does. You know, if the person believes it, that's it. And imagine if we started taking that on a bigger scale and started using that kind of 
thinking that positivity in starting in small groups and then perhaps building. But Bruce, let's go on to, okay, what would this new place look like? What would be some things that would create a better world for us? Let's do that before we get to some questions. Okay, well, let's just start off again with the foundation of quantum physics as consciousness is creating our life experiences. Uh, this is now carried into the field of biology because it reveals our consciousness is adjusting our genetics and our behavior. And the idea is we just gave away that consciousness and started running from programs. That's what we do all day long. A very interesting aspect about this is I mentioned that everything in the universe is energy and every, everything is in waves and ripples. And I go, so what? And I say, when it's raining and you see the raindrops hit a pond, every raindrop sets out ripples I go, because that's energy that's going out. But what's most important is this, the energy of all the ripples are entangled with each other. When two ripples are coming toward each other, they don't just pass by, they become engaged. So energies interact with energies. I go, so what? Simple, a simple study that I, I show uh, in my lectures, I say, I take a piece of iron and I take a file and I file it down. I get a pile of what is called iron filings, iron dust more or less. I put it in a salt shaker and I say, what? I sprinkle iron filings on a piece of paper and it's a random pile. <clears throat> Every time I do it, shake the iron filings, random pile, random pile. But the next time before I shake the iron filings onto the paper, I put a magnet under the paper. And a magnet has an invisible energy field to it. It's invisible. But now when I sprinkle the iron filings, guess what? They don't fall randomly anymore they reveal the entire elaborate structure of a magnetic field. There's a pattern. I go, wait, random iron filings, no field, just random, random pile. But when I put a field into that, in this case, a magnetic field, then the iron filings aren't random anymore. They take a very exquisite shape. And I bring this point up for a very simple fact is Einstein's very important quote is, the field, that's the invisible stuff, is the sole governing agency of matter. What does that mean? It's the energy fields that shape matter. Matter itself doesn't shape itself. Sprinkle the filings, no field, no pattern. The field comes uh, in and shapes it. Very interesting, and when I show the picture of the iron filings forming that magnetic field, I say, for one second, consider this interesting possibility. Then instead of iron filings, those are cells, and what you're looking at is a tumor. I go, what do you mean? I say, we always say a tumor comes from the, the genes. No, there's no gene that causes cancer. Not one gene causes cancer. I said, but what, what's cancer due to? I said, just as the Einstein quote, the field is the sole governing agency of matter. It says what? That a person's energy fields, how they're living is creating their life experiences and, and cancer. Can't, you change the belief, a, a, you know, a person with terminal cancer changes their belief, the cancer goes into remission. You want to kill all the cancer cells saying, those are evil cells, let's kill them. And I go, the cells were just like the iron filings, they're only forming the field. You can kill all the cells you want, but if you didn't change the field, a cancer will regrow in a different place in a different way. Why? It was the field that caused it, not the genes. So I go, oh, you mean my thoughts affect it? And I go, Here's a beautiful thought, because what we have always been led to believe, you put wires on a person's head, it's called the electroencephalograph. I'm reading your brain function inside your consciousness. 
And I go, yeah, with that led us to believe our thoughts are contained in our head. So our thoughts are in our head. There's another device that now reads brain function, uh, but it's not electroencephalograph. It's called magnetoencephalograph. I go, it reads brain function just like EEG, even though this is called MEG. And I go, what's the difference? And here it is. The probe that reads your brain in magnetoencephalograph is out here. It does not even touch you. I go, so why is it relevant? I said, your thoughts are not contained in your head. I could read them out here. And I go, why is it relevant? Your thoughts are a field. And I go, why is that relevant? And I said, well, the field is shaping your life experiences. So your thoughts are not just passive events in the world. You're beaming them. Your brain is a tuning fork and broadcasting this field and manifesting reality. And then I go, when I wrote a book about this biology of belief, it was how our thoughts are creating our world. And I brought that in there. And then when I was writing that, the moment it hit me, I said, oh my God, what happens if a large number of people have the same field, that they have the same thoughts? And then it hit me and said, oh my God, this is what creates our civilization. This is what creates our culture, the sharing of the thoughts. And I go, and then I say, so what? Not just sharing of a thought, now the thought is broadcast. I say, now what? And I say, it's not a, just a thought in my head, it's now a manifestation in my world that civilization and evolution is based on the thoughts we are broadcasting. That's physics and now biology as well. And I go, why is it relevant? I said, look at your world. I said, you've been programmed. I said, why? Because I said the brain computer <laughs> has to have programs before consciousness, which is you can type on the keys and add stuff to your brain. You, you first have to have the programs in there, okay? And I said, so why? I said, but those programs send broadcasts out. I go, that one. I said, well, those broadcasts shape the world we're living in. And I go, well, then look at the world. And I say, it's not really conforming to what most of us want. And I said, because we're not broadcasting our consciousness, we're broadcasting our programs that we downloaded. I'll give one big one right now. Programs are acquired through life experiences. I say, when the first seven years, when those programs are going in, most of us in this world had a family where if somebody was sick, what did we do? We, we took them to the doctor. And I go, why was that relevant? Because what did we learn that if it's a health issue, what did we learn? Oh, I don't know anything about that. The doctor knows about it. And I say, so what did we learn in that seven years? I said, when it comes to matters of health, we are not in power of that, but the doctor knows. So then we take the words of the doctor, now broadcast them and manifest our reality in the world we're in. And I go, why is it relevant? You gave up your power because you could heal yourself, <laughs> but not if you have a program that says, I don't heal myself. The doctor tells me they're the professional. I say, so why is that relevant? And I say, because a prognosis is now not just a prognosis, it's a script for your future. Your words that you accept from the doctor because you accepted that as a source of truth now becomes your source of truth and you will broadcast whatever it is. Oh, I'm gonna die in 30 days? Oh, okay source of truth. I'm out of here. Guess what? You'll die in 30 days if you absolutely believe it, even if you don't have the disease. Uh, and this has been proven over and over again. So I say, so what? The culture is an expression of our program. And let me help people because I go, well, when did you get programmed? I said, it started in the last trimester of pregnancy. So I ask you, okay, what did you, what programs you get when you were in the womb? 
of course, I don't know what it is. I said, okay, you're born and you're still getting programs for seven years. So you were being programmed for a whole year from zero to one. What, what, what program did you get? Consciousness wasn't really working. So whatever programs we got in those early years, zero to one, one to two, two to three, I say, most of us have no conscious awareness of these programs. Yet I said, these programs are creating our life. So then comes the beautiful part. What are your programs? Why? Because they determine the character of your life. And I say, so what are my programs? I wasn't there. Now I come, beautiful conclusion, 95% of our life is a printout of our programs. So all you have to do is look at your life and I go, what, my programs are rich. My life is being manifest. And so my programs are my reality. And I ask a simple point. They'll tell you a simple point in case. I say, the things that you like that come into your life, they come in because you have a program to acknowledge those things. But, and this is the one I want you to pay attention to about your own programming is this. Those things that you seek, those things that you desire, those things that you wish for, and you find you have to work hard, struggle, put a lot of effort into it. I'm, I'm going to make this. I'm sweating. I'm going to make this happen. I'm working real hard. Why are you working so hard? The answer, those things, the destinations of those wishes and desires are not supported by your program. And so you're not fighting the world. You're fighting your own damn program. And if you know this, then you can look at your life and say, well, if I'm having trouble with a relationship, but my job is going good, I say, well, you're good. You've got good program on your job, your employment. But your relationship programs probably suck. Mine did. I mean, I was downloaded of relationship programming by watching my mother and father in a relationship. I want to talk about, well, dysfunctional? Did I download that? Yes. Did 95% of my life come from that? Yes. So the first 40 or so years of my life, I couldn't get a relationship off the ground. Why? Like Bill, I was invisibly playing dysfunctional relationship programs that I downloaded. And I say, then what? And here comes the whole resolution that Lynn and I are talking about. You can change those programs. And if you change those programs, you change your life. And, and did my life change when I understood the program? I said, absolutely. You know what? A guy who couldn't get the damn relationship off the ground for over 40 years ends up writing a book called The Honeymoon Effect because I've been living the heaven on earth honeymoon for 23 years or four now with my partner. I go, how did that happen? The answer was, only by changing the program. And by changing the program, I changed my life. Uh, and this is what Lynn and Brian have been offering the public. It's like, you've been programmed, you've been programmed. Yeah, I know it. Yeah, scientifically, it's a valid, it's totally valid. That quantum physics, epigenetics, science of consciousness programming. So if your life isn't working right or our world isn't working right, then you have a choice. Continue the programs that led to that or come to a time to say, I want to take my programs back and I want to rewrite those programs. And the moment you rewrite them, that's when you get your power back. And, and Lynn has shown many different ways of how you can do that. And, and even just group intention. I say, why does a group intention work? I say, remember, our thoughts are broadcast. Each of us is a tuning fork. The more tuning forks that share that same broadcast, the more amplification of that feel that we're generating. So one person can have a feel and say, I want peace on the earth and all the rest are fighting all over the place. I said, that means nothing. But if I get enough people to say, we want peace on earth and we get to that number. And as Lynn said, it didn't start with a massive number, it started with a small number, but that number grew. Why? 
Buckminster Fuller thing. It says, build a better world. People will come from that world to visit your world. And what Lynn is showing, we can build a better world. And why is it increasing a in number of people? Because people are saying, I want what Lynn's has. It always reminds me of the movie with Harry <laughs> Sally. I'll have what she's having. Fakes the <laughs> orgasm in the restaurant and another woman at a table watching her goes, I want what she has. Well, <laughs> this is what Lynn and Brian offer. They have something to say. They have something. I want what she has. Why? Because it's empowering. Why? It changes your consciousness. Your consciousness is creating. If the creation doesn't look good, you don't change the world. You change the consciousness. The world then changes because of your creativity. And that's why um, Lynn's work uh, to me is so important to get people to wake up and say, uh, miracles happen when you get enough tuning forks together. And how many? Well, apparently, eight tuning forks is good to change. It, <laughs> it is. Right, uh, yeah, it works with big groups. Obviously, we've done 40 intention experiments now, and 36 have shown measurable positive effects. Um, and we did about 10 lowering violence, and we've had different scientists measuring it. And Violence went down in St. Louis, the most violent place in America, by 43%. We had a bunch of other things. We can't necessarily claim, yeah, we did this. There are a lot of variables when you try to intend in a war zone. It could have been the weather too, but when it keeps happening, it starts being interesting. But, and our, many of my Power of Eight groups have tried, uh, tried to change the weather in their place, in their neighborhood or their, their town, and actually got statistics before and after rain statistics um, and showed big effects. My favorite actually was for the during the California fires, a team of ours, a group of eight, sent intention to one of their friends who had the fire coming straight for her house. And they all imagined a dome over her house. And afterward, the next day, they found that there was almost like a circle around her house. The fire had gone around it, didn't touch her property. They also imagined that the firemen would, um, would find a, a kind of refuge in her back, backyard, and they did. They also imagined there would not be loads of you know, dust and things in her house. There wasn't much. It was really quite amazing. But as you say, Bruce, it's this collection of people doesn't have to be a big group. You know, for our big intention experiments, we've had up to 25,000 people, but with the just groups of eight, you start broadcasting a new reality. And one of the things that I think is a really important piece here that we've lost from our, you know, this, this obsession with success and individuality is altruism. What I find in our power of eight groups that so is the big secret sauce, the big game changer is a lot of the time you're intending for someone else, but your life ends up changing. And that is what I find remarkable. I think it's part of that change of programming because you get into a space of this feeling of oneness, this feeling of being actually experiencing being in the field. And suddenly you, feel like she is me and I am her and that I am the walrus song, you're just suddenly feeling I'm part of this bigger thing. 
we get to experience it. And I keep thinking too, Bruce, if these small groups, this hyper mind that gets created, this field, your, your filings, files and your secret magnet that happen with a, a little group like this, you can start taking this out to the world. So, and start, you know, my husband, Brian has had this vision of a new stock market where companies don't get rewarded just for making a lot of money. They get rewarded for doing something positive in the world. And that's where, they're, that's where they get dividends. So you don't have to change capitalism, you just change the focus of capitalism. That can also be the case with so much in our lives. But it is, as I say, I really encourage everyone. It starts with a small group. And I was pretty skeptical about the power of intention when I first started playing around with it. You know, I come from an investigative reporter background. You know, I was, I was, I was uh, uh, rooting out baby sellers. I wanted to put bad guys in jail. And suddenly got, you know, I got into this whole field. But that skepticism has never left me. And then I have seen miracle after miracle after miracle in people's relationships, in their, in their health, in their finances or career. And it has convinced me overwhelmingly that we all do have that power to change our lives, to change that programming, to send out broadcast a better life for the, ourselves and a better world. Thank you so much, Bruce. Yes, What Doctors Don't Tell You, check out my, my wddty.com, check out uh, lynnmctaggart.com. As I say, find out about my events, my masterclass, my year-long Power of Eight groups. Be part of that, and you'll find out that a small group and a different thought is all it takes to change your world and the world around you. Dr. Lipton, my, one of my favorite people in the entire world, go check out his website, brucelipton.com. So great to be with you. So great to be with everybody else. Thank you so much for participating with this. Be well and keep listening to Lynn McTaggart in Conversation. Thanks so much. Take care, everybody. Bye. As you've heard, one of the simplest ways to live the new science is with a Power of Eight group of your very own. So if you'd like to have that and learn how to master intention by working directly with me, please join me and a select group of students on my once a year, year long intensive journey into the secrets of intention with my Power of Eight Intention Masterclass. During the whole of 2022, I will show you how to unleash the power you hold inside yourself, both to heal and improve every aspect of your life, your health, your relationships, your finances or career, and even your life's true purpose. My once a year course can help you do all of the above as it's done for thousands of others while finding your own loving tribe and helping them to heal their own lives too. During this year-long journey, you'll enjoy six live and interactive two-hour webinar sessions with me, which include an advanced intention toolkit, an ample opportunity 
to practice and improve your intention and psychic skills with other course members. A specially selected Power of Eight group of your own in your time zone meet virtually at your preferred times. And new this year, I'm going to be doing live monthly intention clinics for feedback challenges and coaching with you to nail down your intention practice alone and in a group. You'll have a special online journal to record and track your progress upward, a private community group page on my website to share and communicate, and you'll be able to talk to the entire masterclass through the year. But please don't delay. I only run this course once a year and it always sells out early. So to find out more, go to my website, lynnmctaggart.com and click on the link, click on the, but please don't delay. I only run this course once a year and it always sells out early. To find out more, go to my website, lynnmctaggart.com and click on the link at the top of the page directing you to the Power of Eight Intention Masterclass 2022. This is Lynn McTaggart helping you to live the new science. Thanks for listening, and I look forward to connecting again.